Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Aren't you glad you got up and came to church this morning? My goodness, some people just don't know what they're missing out on. Amen? Just don't know. Just don't know. It's good to be back. Glad that Shannon and I were able to be here. And last week we had a little mini vacation. We were able to go visit Seth. Whenever the military gives you a little bit of leave, you just go after it, right? Did a little bit of sliding down the mountain. Some of us did some rolling down the mountain. I'm not going to say who. But we had a lot of fun spending some time in Colorado. And we came back and got a little taste of Colorado and Texas. Doesn't seem like that, you know, is ever. It's just, it's just I, I think it's becoming the new norm around here. You know, don't say that. Is that right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, before I go and get into the message this morning, I'm going to switch over, Austin. Before I switch over and get into the Word of God, I want to, I want to make an announcement that if I don't make and it doesn't get heated very well, I may be sleeping out in the shed. Sisterhood. All of the ladies in the room, let me hear you. Sisterhood is going to have a special Keepsakes and Treasures night this Friday at 6.30. Now, there was several ladies I know yesterday that came up here and they spent all day yesterday preparing for this. It is going to be a wonderful time for all the ladies. And so I encourage all of you ladies, don't come by yourself. Bring a friend. Bring somebody Friday night Hang around, have a hen party, and just cackle all night long. That's what you desire to do. I'm jealous. That's it. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Come on Friday night, ladies. So mark your calendars now. Take your tablet out. I just crushed the cup there. Take your tablet out. Write it down in your... In your uh, little planner, whatever you do, mark it down and be here on Friday night at 6.30. You ladies are going to have an incredible time. My wife has uh, uh, put a lot of time into this, and I believe our own sister Jan, Jan Hutchins is going to be sharing the devotion. Where are you, Jan? She's around there. She is sitting back there. She's going to be. Let me tell you something. Here's what I really like. I like that the fact that several of the last few sisterhoods that we've had some of the ladies who have some incredible wisdom have shared to those who are younger. That's the scripture. That's what the Bible says. So I thank God that we've got wisdom in our church, and they're going to share that to the next generation so that the next generation can share that and, and depart that to the next generation. So be here, ladies, 630. Guys, if you don't know what to do, order a pizza and watch TV that night, okay? Praise the Lord. I want you to take your Bibles out this morning and turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 121. I'm going to read a scripture. I'm going to read it two different ways and two different versions.
I enjoyed last week going to the mountains, but to be honest, I'm really a flatlander. I guess being raised in Texas, especially in West Texas, I really enjoy seeing the sun set as far as you can see, and it looks like it just falls off the edge of the earth. Uh, I like to go to the mountains, but I'm, I'm really a flatlander at heart. But there's something about the mountains that really challenged me, the majestic peaks and the beauty of the snow. And it's not just those mountains that I saw as we skied, but there are mountains that I have climbed in my lifetime, and some of you have as well, that have truly made a difference in me. Mountains that have helped me. Mountains that will help you. I want us to read in Psalm 121. I'm going to begin with reading from the New International Version. It says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? God's Word version, it's a different version, a little amplified version, says this, I look up toward the mountains. Where can I find help? This morning, what I want you to see are the mountains that have helped me. Mountains that have encouraged me. Mountains that have changed me because those same mountains can help you. They changed my perspective. They helped me to see what I couldn't see before. They've helped me. So this morning, I want to take you on a little bit of a biblical tour of the mountains that will help you. Let's pray this morning that God's Word would not return void. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your goodness, for Your mercy, for Your grace. And Lord, we thank You, Lord, not only, Lord, for the times in our life that we have enjoyed, Lord, peace and tranquility, but we've also, Lord, enjoyed those times that you have walked us up the mountains and gave us new perspective, new insight, new understanding. And Lord, I pray that this morning that you would take the words of, of your holy scriptures, Lord, and that you would use my mouth, anointed by the Holy Spirit, Lord, to speak boldly and powerfully the truth that you desire for us to hear today. It's all for your glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. The first mountain I want to bring to your attention this morning is the mountain of testing. The mountain of testing. If you look in Genesis chapter 22, I'm not going to read all of these scriptures. They're in your notes. If you would like notes, I'm sure that you can find some. Of our ushers could hand them to you if you desire. In Genesis 22, we see the story of Abraham, a man of faith, a friend of God, a man of many altars, who was called to go up the mountain of testing. For 25 years, this man of God waited upon the promise that the Lord would send him, that he had guaranteed, that God had revealed to him that God would give him a son. And I so appreciate what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham did not waver 
through unbelief regarding that promise, but he stayed steadfast upon the promise that God had made to him. God said, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that promise that you have so longed for. I want you to take that miracle child, Isaac, and I want you to walk up that mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him there on the top of Mount Moriah. Friends, there is no more mountain that's any more difficult to climb than the mountain of testing in our life. Can someone say amen? It took Abraham about three days to climb up that mountain, three days of agony, three days of heartache, three days of, of mental wrestling, walking up that mountain of testing. Can I just tell you, friends, that you will never be much for God until you have climbed up that mountain? It's impossible until you have had to hold on to your faith and pray through tears and pray through sorrow and pray through pain and say, Lord, you know what's best, not my will, but God, yours be done. Until you have had to walk up that mountain, it's hard to really understand much about God. In our day today, it's kind of funny. We have this new neo-spirit-filled group of people. You know what neo means? Not quite. Not really. This neo-spirit-filled group that looks to this mountain and tried to avoid this mountain at all costs, and they make it about a day before they turn around and they give up and they throw in the towel. I know there's a group out there like this because I've seen some of the young, light-in-the-loafer, pin-whiskered, animated question marks that stand behind the pulpits of such churches. It's okay, I'm going to go ahead and preach today. So get your seatbelt out and buckle up because I've been preaching this message since before the sun came up this morning. You know why a rooster crows? Because he's got it in him and I've got it in me today. I've waited two weeks to preach this message. I've heard church members talk about these new pastors. Oh, brother, our pastor's just so sweet and trendy. We know he loves Jesus. He's got agape monogrammed on his undershorts. We just know it's true. Wears socks with three hearts going up the side, if he even wears his socks. Come on, it's all right to laugh. Brother, we saw him at the church picnic. He's such a man of God. It was hot outside. He had his shirt unbuttoned halfway down to his belly button. But when we saw that gold cross, we knew he loved Jesus. God, give us men. And women who have walked up the mountain of testing. 
who have seen Abraham's mountain and they have seen the faithfulness of God. They've walked through the valleys of the shadow of death and they've not turned back. They've went to Gethsemane and they have wept with tears of sorrow, but they did not give up upon the faithfulness and the will of Almighty God. Lord, give us, Lord, strong men, strong women who will walk up the mountain testing and come back down and say, there is victory on top of the mountain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The world needs some people who will walk up these mountains of testing like Abraham and come back down with a testimony of victory. Can I just tell you, friends, serving God is not some three-day hike and a picnic lunch. It's walking up the hill of God Almighty and experiencing His never-ending faithfulness. It is coming to a place in your heart where it's breaking and your face is covered with tears and still you sing, It is well with my soul. You sing, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning in thee. It is when you look the devil square in the eyes and you say, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has promised to me against that day. Hallelujah. Abraham told his servant, we're going up the mountain and we will return back. Did you catch that? We will come back. We will have a testimony. Friends, I know some of you are walking over the rocks and the hills of this mountain of testing in your life now. But if I could tell you one thing, hold on. There is a God who is faithful and He will not let you go. It's not about how much of a hold you have on Him. It's about how hard of a grip He has on you. And friend, He will not fail. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Abraham's mountain of testing has helped me in my life. Shannon and I have walked up this mountain. and We've seen nothing but the faithfulness of God and the keeping power of His hand. Hallelujah. I lift my eyes to the mountains from where my help comes. second mountain I want to talk to you about this morning is the mountain of holiness. Exodus chapter 19. Moses called to get those people out of Egypt. Reluctantly, he didn't want to do it. He knew what kind of rascals they were. He leads them out of Egypt. And it wasn't long before God realized this was a rough bunch. That they were off the rails. He didn't realize how crazy some of them were. If you look in Exodus chapter 19, verse 20, it says that the Lord descended on top of Mount Sinai. And he called Moses to the top of that mountain. And so Moses went up. Here's what I want you to see this morning about this mountain that's helped me. 
you won't live for God very long before you will start hearing the call of the Lord up the mountain of holiness. You won't go far until, in your Christian faith until God starts putting guardrails around you not to hem you in but to protect you. Holiness will always follow grace. Write that down. That's important. Holiness always follows grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any should boast. You can't get good enough to be what God wants you to be. It's not your works. It is the grace of God, the favor of the Lord. The minute you walk down this aisle to receive salvation, Christ Jesus accepts you the way you are. His grace flows over you. His favor encounters you. His love sweeps over your soul, and He creates in you a new creation. But when you get up from that altar, you won't make it back to your seat before you are confronted with the mountain of Sinai. You will be confronted with God's holiness and His glory as He begins to place demands upon your life. Are you hearing me? Following Jesus is not a one-time commitment at an altar where you check a box. It is a lifestyle of following the Lord. It is a new way of living. It's filled with instructions and commandments that God gives us for our lives, for our benefit. Thou shalt not have any other gods before you. Thou shalt not have any idols or make any graven image. This new anything goes Christianity. God is unfamiliar with it. Are you hearing me? God is unfamiliar with a Christian who lives like the devil and yet calls himself a Christian. That is, that is foreign to our Almighty God. All this new, this is, what I, this is the term that I saw, all this new positive reinforcement discipleship. Positive reinforcement discipleship. It's like the no negative confession. Think about that one. I'm not sick. Now, I'm a positive guy. I like positive people. I've been around enough negative people in my life. I knew a lady in church. She was, she was so negative. Her face was so long, it would make an undertaker cry. I've seen people come into church. They were so negative and down in spirit. There was one lady, her lip was hung so low it looked like she was wearing a turtleneck sweater. Negative. Negative. Woo, I'm having a good time whether you are or not. Not opposed to being positive. That's great. I want you to be positive. But it's not a check on how you live. 
God has a standard. He has a standard that we have to live up to. And I'm afraid what's happened is, is, is in too many pulpits, there are soft-handed modern-day preachers who have dismissed the lifestyle of holiness because it sounds too intolerant. Is anybody with me this morning? Oh, brother, you know, it might be better to be holy, but you know, God understands. God understands. It's just really all about love. Really. It really is. We're not, at our church, we don't want to make too many bold assertions, you know. Now, there's a little church over on North Carroll Boulevard, but you'll be careful because they might offend you. mountain of holiness you shall not you shall it's not about following rules it's about showing honor and respect to a holy god it's not hey god it is our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven hallelujah he is holy full of majesty, full of power, great and mighty. Oh God, may there be a revival of reverence and fear and awe sweep over the church where we no longer lower our Father in heaven to a big daddy or the man upstairs, but He is the almighty, all-powerful, immutable, all-knowing, ever-present God of all eternity. Hallelujah. Praise God. Mountain of holiness. You know what's funny is that Satan can copy just about nearly anything in the church. Satan can pastor a church. You know why I know? I've met some of his staff members. <laughs> None of ours, of course. The devil can sing your worship songs. That's right, he can. He can mimic prophecy. He can mimic all kinds of things. That's why in this day we must have a spirit of discernment. But there is one thing that the devil cannot copy that only you can do. Are you ready? This is life-changing. When I heard this, I, I, when the Lord just rolled this onto me, I was like, my God, it's so true. He can copy everything. He can counterfeit everything. But one thing he cannot copy the devil can't live right. You're the only one that can do that. He's a dog and he is a devil and that's all he is. He can't be holy because he's the devil. But you can, friends. He can't copy that. Mountain of holiness. If you want to know what's real, check how it lives. Check the fruit. As Paul says in Ephesians 4.24, he says, Put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Writer of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The mountain has helped me to know what was right and what was wrong. I climb that mountain every day. You know how? Right here. This is the mountain I climb. Right here, every day. This word, this book. It is my all-sufficient guide to faith and holy living. That's what your Bible is. 
It's your all-sufficient, purposeful guide to live your life the way God wants you to live and to live holy before the world around you. So if Reverend Sounding Brass is preaching his conference sermon and it doesn't line up with the Word of God, you need to dismiss yourself. If that Amazon all-time seller, bestseller list doesn't line up with the precepts of God's Word, let me tell you, friend, even the sale price was too much. The mountain of holiness. I told you I was taking you on a tour today. I hope y'all are good with this. Y'all won't let me go back to the mountains again. The next mountain is the mountain of prayer and deliverance. Exodus chapter 17, you see the story of Israel and the people of God. They hadn't traveled very far in the wilderness in that brief distance until they came in contact with a wicked group of people that hated their guts called the Amalekites. The people didn't really know what to do. And God spoke to Moses. He said, go tell Joshua to take a few men to go down into the valley and fight. But Moses, I want you to go up on the mountain of, of Rephidim and I want you to hold a prayer meeting. It's sad that prayer meetings have kind of gone out of vogue for the sake of being replaced by seminars and conferences. Because prayer is really what does the changing in people's lives. I'm convinced, church, that we must, in these last days, go back to the mountain of prayer and deliverance. Where people who know how to pray can come and cry out to God and know how to get into the inner courts of Him and have an audience with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. A mountain where you weep before the Lord but you rejoice in your heart because you know that your requests are being heard and your petitions are being made known in heaven. A mountain where you're overjoyed by the joy of the Lord as you fellowship with Him in a very intimate way. Where you spend all the time it takes. If you know that story, it didn't happen in the first five minutes of that prayer that Moses was praying. Are you with me? Moses stood upon that mountain and he lifted his hands in prayer. But all day, all day he prayed as the battle raged below him. Fatigue began to set into his hands and his arms. And thank God for the errands and hers who came and encouraged him and prayed alongside of him and lifted his hands and said, we're going to win this battle because we're going to continue the fight on the top of the mountain, not just in the valley. You hold on in prayer for however long it takes until you are heard and you hear the Word of God. I challenge you, friends, to find this mountain of prayer and deliverance. Because here's the secret I want you to catch this morning as the Lord just kind of showed this to me. If you want true victory to come into your lives, 
It's not how hard you struggle in the valley, but it's how high you can lift your hands on the top of the mountain. The fight was not won in the valley. The fight was won on the prayer meeting at the top of that mountain. God, bring us back to that mountain. Too many people, too many churches have forgotten this mountain. There are too many churches that are as dry as a West Texas wind. Distracted by their own programs, more reliant upon a creative committee than the working of the Holy Spirit in them. God, bring us back to the mountain of Rephidim where we will call upon you to give us the victory that we need and the deliverance that we can see, Lord, through the power of prayer. I started preaching when I was seven years old. Some of you have never heard this story. I preached, started preaching when I was seven years old. My dad and mom pastored a little country church in West Texas. And when he would go over next door, he had a little radio program, 100,000 watts in that area. And I would go next door, and while he was cutting that program in there in his office, I would go out into this empty sanctuary, and I would begin to preach my guts out. I had to set a chair behind the pulpit so I could see over it, but it was fun. I preached a house of fire. Seven years old, thinking that I was the pastor of that church. Boy, a lot of wisdom was flowing out of that pulpit back then. But I preached some doozies. You rebellious, backslidden, whitewashed twos. <laughs> I preached pretty hard till Dad opened the door and looked out there and saw what I was doing, and I'd calm down just a little bit. But boy, my messages were stout. Strong drink. But I saw God do some mighty things in that little country church. And I always had a front row seat to the altar because mom sat on the second row right there where Brandon and Aubrey are sitting. And I was right there every service, every service, every service from a little bitty tiny guy preschool all the way up, I said, on the second row. Mom never had to carry me out. All she had to do was look at me sideways and take her shoe off, and I knew I'd better get right with God. I had a front row seat to everything that happened in the altars. I saw things take place that have changed my life. For years, I saw things that, thank God, I was able to see because I saw the power of God, of deliverance that took place in the altar. As a front row seat watching the whole thing, I didn't even have to pay for the ticket. It was great. I'll never forget one time, they were praying in the altars, and this gentleman comes down from the back, and he comes down to my dad, and he's praying with people, and he says, Pastor, I need deliverance. Dad said, well, what's, what do you need to be delivered from, brother? He said, I smoke. And he said, I need to be delivered from nicotine. Now, I'd never been, you know, I mean, I'm seven. Seven years old. I'd never been around a whole lot of smoke. You know, mom and dad didn't smoke. They didn't even know what, you know, smoking brisket was. 
It's just beans and cornbread and those things. I remember trying to smoke sometimes. I tried to roll my own once. Took some typing paper and some instant Folgers crystals. I couldn't get it to stick together, so I used some pancake syrup. It looked more like a tamale than it did a cigarette. Strong. But he said, Pastor, I need to be delivered of of smoking cigarettes. My dad said, all right, brother, we're going to anoint you with oil. And I saw dad leave the altar, and he came back, and we had an old wooden pulpit that on the front side of it had a door. Y'all been in church long enough, you know these old, there's a door. I'm just going to tell you, the Ark of the Covenant has been placed in some of those pulpits. Indiana Jones looking in the wrong place. It's in one of these old pulpits where the door, nobody opens those doors. As a kid, I was in everything. I was in every closet. I even opened those, that pulpit door. There was stuff in there from before the Civil War, I think. One thing in particular there that I remember was that's where they kept the olive oil. It wasn't no fancy stuff like we've got now. It smells good. Ooh, this smells good. You can leave here with this. It's like like essential oil almost. You just kind of, you think, wow, that's good stuff. That's got frankincense and myrrh in it. No, we just use plain old olive oil, you know. And if we ran out of that, somebody would go get some 10W40 out of the closet. (laughs) Lubed you up real good. So dad went up to the pulpit and he grabs this bottle of olive oil and I noticed which one he grabbed because there were several bottles but there's one that was been sitting in the back and I promise you it has been there since Noah's day. I guess that's what it was going to take to deliver this old boy so he grabs that bottle and I'm seeing him and my eyes are as big as grapefruits as I see him carry that bottle down to the altar. And he says, Brother... We're going to anoint you with oil. And Dad opened the top of that bottle, and it smelled like a bag of rotten broccoli all over the auditorium. It was rancid. It was terrible. You could smell it from the front to the back. It was bad. That church wasn't very big. And I'm thinking, my God, if it don't kill him, it's going to deliver him for sure. He opens that bottle. And he says, brother, we're going to anoint you with oil. Stick out your tongue. You want to be delivered? Let me go find that bottle of oil. He takes, he doesn't just, you know, we, we, we're conservative around here. We just dab. He poured some of that stuff on that old boy's tongue. He went to spitting and sputtering all over that altar. <coughs> I told you I had it in me today. A year later, that old boy testifies. He says, Pastor, I just want you to know that night that y'all prayed for me, I was delivered from those cigarettes and now every time I smell somebody smelling smoke, I taste broccoli in my mouth. Thank God I've been delivered. Hallelujah. 
to the altar or to the, to the mountain of prayer and back to the mountain of deliverance where we pray through to the power of God to deliver us from every danger and every harm and every attack of the enemy. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I'm having fun this morning. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James says. And he who the Son sets free, John said, is free indeed. I'm moving. I'm moving fast. I know what time it is, so just stay with me. Mountain of spiritual power. We're going to spend enough, very much time here. 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah the prophet, this man of God filled with faith, filled with power, walks up to the wicked king Ahab and he says, Fella, me and you need to have a little meeting. I want you to meet me on the top of Mount Carmel. Why don't you tell all your boys to come with you? He looked at him right in the face, pointed his finger in his chest, and he said, look, let me tell you something. You think that you're a pretty powerful guy? You ain't seen nothing, buddy. You ain't seen nothing. So you bring your preachers to the top of Mount Carmel. If they can get away from their Zoom meetings long enough, bring them up there. Tell them that I'm going to start a revival service up there. It's going to start with the people of God. And on the first night of that revival service, Aaron, do you know what he preached? He preached the message on indecision. He preached in the altar call, folks, that are kind of in and kind of out. It's time to make a decision. That was his sermon. That was how revival started. That was how revival started on the top of Mount Carmel. And I love what he said. If God be God, then let's serve him. Think about that. If God is God, then let's serve him. If Jesus, my friend, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then let's serve him. If the Holy Spirit will fill us with power, then let us be the Spirit-filled church where the fire of God burns and the power of the Holy Ghost flows. Let's not be 80% saved or 90% saved or 70% filled with the Spirit of God. Let's be 100%. If God be God, let's serve Him. I like it that God does not leave us on middle ground. He doesn't set you on the 50-yard line and ask you which direction you would like to lean. If God be God, and He is, if Jesus be the King of kings, and He is, if the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our guide, our teacher, our giver of power, and He is, then let's start letting the whole world know that we are saved by the blood of Jesus and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't be ashamed, as Paul said. I am not ashamed 
of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. The mountain of spiritual power. Matthew chapter 5, we find the mountain of blessing. I told you we're going on a tour today. Jesus began his ministry with this great sermon, the greatest that's ever been preached. I could never even come close to what he does. There's no evangelist, no TV preacher, no great pastor of a mega church that could ever preach the sermon that Jesus preached. And he began it with this, these simple words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed. What now? I, I, I started thinking, what does that word really mean? And I looked it up in the dictionary. Blessed means spiritually prosperous, well off, well to do, happy, in a state of harmony, in a state to be envied, well fixed in your life. Blessed. Blessed are the poor. Now, he wasn't talking financially. He, was, he wasn't talking about how much you've got in your bank account. He said, blessed are those who are destitute for spiritual things. What does that mean? The greatest sermon ever given starts with these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What that means in Scott's international translation is that happiness doesn't come from dreaming your own dreams. It comes from seeking after Him who is the source of all of your joy and all of your happiness and all of the satisfaction of life. That's what blessed means. In His presence, the Scripture says, is fullness of joy. You show me a church that's satisfied with the status quo, that can pay all the bills, take three board meetings to buy a new broom, happy with just the spiritual mediocrity of the church, not engaging in missions, not doing much, just saved, sanctified, and satisfied, just rocking along, and I'll show you a church that's going to die in the future. You show me a church that's hungry. You show me a church that's thirsty and they cry out. You show me a church that comes in on a Sunday morning eager to worship God, eager to clap their hands. They don't have to be told. They don't have to be encouraged. They don't need to be exhorted. They're ready to go because they're ready to see the glory of God. You show me a church that's desperate for the move of the Spirit and has a passion to touch the world around them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I will show you a church that are filled with the happiest, joyfulest people on the planet. Because they are blessed. Friends, we can't get comfortable in our walk with the Lord. Some of you have been saved for many, many years. Some of you have only been saved for a number of years. But you cannot get comfortable in your walk with the Lord. You have to help to continue to seek to touch a broken world around you and a generation who is looking for answers that only you have. Too many spirit-filled believers in our culture and in our day have cooled off. They've cooled off to nothing more than the temperature of the world around them. 
My God, bring us back and set us back on fire so that we might be blessed, filled with the joy of the Lord and capable of doing whatever he's called us to do. I've learned some things from this mountain. I've learned that the secret of joy and happiness doesn't come from how big your house is or how nice your car is, but it comes from the finding a desire of the things of God and pursuing them with all your heart. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. God, give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in our church today, in this church, not just general, in this church. God, give us a hunger for you. Wouldn't you just love to see? Wouldn't you just love to see the power of God in our church strong where every Sunday... A sinners, sinners walk into our church knowing that they could find hap, uh, peace in their heart and they are convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and they find their place at an altar. Wouldn't you love to see a backslider weep their way all the way to the altar and fall across that altar and begin to pour their life out and say, Oh God, forgive me, bring me back to where I need to be. Wouldn't you just love to see alcoholics and drug addicts delivered by the power of God right here in front of this, in front of this altar because we are seeking the presence of the Lord like never before, not satisfied with just doing church, but we want to see God move. mountain has taught me that when I'm focused on the things of God, I will never, never, never lack joy and happiness in my life. No matter what's going on. Let me close with this one. Daniel, would you come? Final mountain. Of all the mountains that have ever changed my life, this one has changed me more than any other. It's the mountain of all mountains. It's the mountain that we call Calvary. It's the place that inspired the song at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart were rolled away how many burdens could a five year old have let me tell you friends I had a lot of burdens at five there's people who have tons of burdens they've lived through their adult life and they have yet to find this mountain of Calvary Everything I have in my life came by way of the cross. Because it's on this mountain, Mount Calvary, it's where the innocent died and where the guilty were set free. It's where Jesus volunteered to become the substitute and the payment for the sin that I had to pay. It's where the sins of this entire world were addressed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just for those who were worthy, but it was for those of whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved.
And that's why that old hymn rings in my heart. I will cling to the old rugged cross. In this generation, too many pulpits have skipped over the cross because of its effect. But we have to come back to the declaration of what this mountain does in our life. The declaration of the cross that is where we die to self and we die to sin and we take up the scripture of Galatians chapter 2.20 that says, I have been crucified with Christ, yet not I live, but Christ lives within me. Up that mountain of Calvary, I want you to understand on that day, people were all in the city of Jerusalem. They'd come there for Passover. They all had their little lambs and they were approaching the temple to make a sacrifice for the annual sacrifice to cover their family and their lives for their sin but as they were approaching the temple something happened Jesus the Lamb of God was taken upon the mountain of Calvary and he was laid down upon those rugged timbers and nails were driven through his hands and through his feet friends and there the Christ the Messiah the Lamb of God died and gave his life and in that moment the priests who were worshiping in the temple all of a sudden saw something amazing the temple the, the veil that separated the holiness of God from the people was torn in half and he came out and he said oh something's happened and the people said my what is it and one person said oh I know what it is the Lamb of God up on that mountain Calvary has been slain you don't need those lambs anymore because once and for all forgiveness has been made for us hallelujah it's the mountain of Calvary the cornerstone of our faith cornerstone of your life of my life of anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus we cannot forget this mountain the cross still calls us it's still level at the foot of the cross of anything you've heard me say today you may be here you say man what a good show what a good message this morning I don't know if I like it or not let me tell you whether you like it or not the cross is true hear me friends Whatever you hear this morning, know that the cross is true. It is real, and it will deliver us from our sin. Without the cross, you have no hope. Unless you go to the mountain of Calvary, and you fall on your knees before God, and you confess your sin before Him, and you repent, which means you turn 180 degrees, and you're going to go the other way. You, my friend, have no hope in eternity. When you die, you will live in a place that we call hell. Not something made up by preachers to scare people, but something that's spoken about more in the New Testament by Jesus than he talks about heaven. It's a real place where people who don't know God, who are separated from Him, who have never accepted the blood of Christ to forgive them of their sins, spends eternity without Him. It's a real thing. It's real. And I plead with you this morning to hear me. Of all that you've heard today, hear me. If you are not right with God, don't be walking out of those doors taking your life into your own hands. You are not guaranteed to even make it home or to lunch to the restaurant. 
Your life could be taken just like that. And if you don't know Jesus, friends, you are in serious trouble. That's why we serve the Lord. Because He loves us so much that whoever would believe in Him would have everlasting life. If the last two years have shown us anything, it's shown us the fact that life is a fragile thing. If the war that blew up in Ukraine the other day shows us anything, it's that changes in life in this world can happen in an instant overnight. Lives can be taken overnight just like that. Don't gamble your life on the hope that maybe down the road or maybe next week or maybe at youth on Wednesday night I can get things right with God. You are taking a gamble that the odds are stacked against you. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. But I implore you, please, don't walk out of this room today until you have climbed the mountain of Calvary and you have asked Jesus Christ, our Savior, to forgive you of your sin and set yourself on a pathway of following Him, not just as your Savior, but as your Lord when you get up and walk out of this place. Would you bow your heads with me? Here's how we're going to respond to this this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand, and as you stand, I'm just going to ask you this question. What mountain do you need help from today? What mountain do you need help from today? Are you in the middle of the mountain of testing? Are you asking God, Lord, show me exactly what you need me to see in the middle of this time of testing? You've been walking up the mountain, friends. Don't let the devil turn you around. Don't let the devil give you, make you want to give up. You understand the faithfulness of God. Are you, are you, needing, are you walking up that, that mountain of holiness where God is trying to take some things out of your life that you have yet to turn over to Him and He's saying, Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Some things in your life, in your lifestyle, things that you do, things that you say, things that you think. You need God to help you deal with those things. Now is the time this morning. Are you lacking joy? Are you lacking power? You need God to help you walk up that mountain. Spiritual power. Mountain of blessing. Prayer. Deliverance. Do you need to be delivered today? Or do you need to come to that mountain of Calvary? Throw yourself across an altar and say, Oh God, I'm a sinner. Save me by your grace. Friends, don't play the game. Don't play the game. Come to Jesus this morning. If you'd all stand with me today. Everybody stand. If you're here and you say, I need to come to, the, to one of those mountains this morning, I want you to move out from where you are, Aubrey, would you come? Would you move out from where you are? I want you to come to this altar. I want you to fall upon your knees and just say, oh God, would you help me? Help me to learn and help me, Lord, on this mountain that I find myself. Would you help me? As we come, as we come, in just a moment, as I pray, I want you to move out from where you are. I want you to come. We've got plenty of time. Don't let the enemy just say, oh, it's lunchtime. No, no, no. It's, this is the most important time of the day, most important time of the week. As I pray, I want you to move out from where you are. I know there's people here who need to respond to this. 
Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word today. I praise you, O oh God, for your favor and your goodness. And I pray that, Lord, today, that, Lord, that we would not leave this place until we have met with you, Lord, on whatever mountain you have called us to. Lord God, let us recognize where we stand. Let us recognize, Lord, where we stand and bring us to you. Call us to the mountain. Encourage us on the mountain. Give us strength, O oh Lord. Forgiveness and grace in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.